Strange things are growing in our movies, TV shows, and books. There are so many weird and wonderful plants in the stories you know and love, but are they based in science or fiction? In each episode, we dive into the botany hidden in our favorite stories. We find out what's real and what's fantasy with help from the experts here at the Chicago Botanic Garden. I'm Jasmine. And I'm Erica. And this is Botanical Mystery Tour. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, there lived the Sarlacc. Remember the Sarlacc Pit, the tentacled monster that almost swallowed Lando Calrissian in Star Wars? Well, turns out the Sarlacc is actually a plant. The Sarlacc might look like an alien, but it's actually a plant-like, omnivorous creature that starts life as spores. It travels far distances before burying itself 100 meters in the ground. The Sarlacc made its first appearance in Return of the Jedi. And if you're wondering, yes, we're about to get very nerdy. Here's the scene. Luke kills Jabba the Hutt's Rancor during his rescue mission, and so Jabba gets real angry and orders his crew to feed Luke, Han Solo, and Chewbacca to the Sarlacc. Victims of the almighty Sarlacc, His Excellency hopes that you will die honorably. Part of what makes the Sarlacc so terrifying is that it slowly digests its prey over a thousand years while they, according to C-3PO, find a new definition of pain and suffering. And if we look at some of the carnivorous plants in the plant kingdom, we can definitely find some similarities. Today we're talking with Tom Weaver, a fellow Star Wars nerd and a horticulturist at the garden. He's in charge of the Waterfall Garden and the Dwarf Conifer Garden. Hey, Tom. Hey. So did you know that the Sarlacc was a plant? Because that was news to me. I did. <laughs> You're like, I, I'm not even going to lie. I knew he was a plant. So tell you, us so about... So did you know watching the movie or like looking later? Being later like, Oh, okay. I can see the plant like I found qualities. it out later when I was reading Wikipedia. Oh, okay. Naturally. Okay. Yes. Okay. The definitive source of all Star Wars yes. knowledge, Wikipedia. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what what is the definitive nature of the Sarlacc that makes it a plant-like creature? So as they said, it reproduces by spores, which ferns and a lot of the primitive plants reproduce by spores. And then it also, when they say that it's omnivorous, it doesn't wait for plants to fall into its mouth. It has roots that go into the ground however many meters below the surface, and it also feeds using those roots like a plant would. Okay. Because, I, yeah, I think I remember when I was reading on Wikipedia as well about the Sarlacc that it has roots, and if it doesn't find, if, if prey doesn't fall into its mouth, then it sustains itself w- w- by its root system, which I find a little bit hard to believe, especially on Tatooine, because that's a desert pretty arid planet. Well, just because it's arid doesn't mean there's not nutrients down below. Who knows what Tatooine's environment was like millions of years ago. Maybe it was a lush water-filled planet and there's lots of like peat deposits or something below the surface. And it does bury itself 100 meters into yes. the ground, so mm-hmm. that's pretty far down. Maybe there's ample time to find nutrients. Yeah, okay. So, um, 
What are the characteristics a plant has to have to be considered carnivorous like the sarlacc is? So to be considered fully carnivorous, it has to meet three requirements. It has to capture and kill prey. It has to have a mechanism for digestion of the prey. And it has to be shown to actually use the nutrients from the from the animal that it's captured. So it's killing the animals for a purpose. It's yes. Not just- it's not just really it savage. has it's not just it has sticky leaves and bugs get stuck to it. Okay. What kind of plants has a purpose? Um, would kill animals but then not use the nutrients. So there's a couple things that are kind of I would call them proto-carnivorous plants where there's one it's called the bird catcher tree where the seeds are super sticky so while birds are feeding on them it gets stuck in the feathers. And then the bird has all these seeds on it. It can't fly away. So it gets stuck. It dies. And now you've got this nice rotting bird carcass covered (laughs) in seeds. So the seeds have a nice, fresh, nutrient-rich little pile to grow in. But that's not really carnivorous because the plant hasn't actively killed it. And it's not really been proven that it needs those nutrients to survive. It just kind of seems to be a happy coincidence. It's using the bird carcass as like for reproduction almost. Yeah. Okay. But that no one would, or not no one, but most people would not consider that a carnivorous plant. Right. And most people think of the Venus flytrap. Exactly. Pitcher plants. And it eats insects. Yes. So let's talk about actual carnivorous plants and what are the most common or well-known pitcher plants you said? So the most common carnivorous plants that you're going to see, especially for sale in garden shops, are the Venus flytraps and the pitcher plants. Um, In Illinois, we actually have a couple native carnivorous plants. Okay. Um, The Volo bog is a great place to see them growing in the wild, and they have pitcher plants, sundews, and bladderworts. Okay, so let's start with bladderwort just because that name is terrifying sounding. So bladderworts are a really interesting carnivorous plant because they're aquatic. They grow kind of floating in the water. I think they might have some roots that stick down and kind of anchor it. But the leaves have evolved to become these little round traps with a little door. And once like any sort of microscopic organism swims into that trap, it closes shut and gets digested. So it kind of waits for the for the food to come yep. to it, almost like the Sarlacc. Yes. yes. Yep. Except yes. on a different environment. What? So in Star Wars, what's more of a like swampy, boggy kind so of? So that would be like Dagobah. Yeah. Okay. All right. There you go. Go hang out with Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> There's also the pitcher plants and sundews. Sundews are actually a really pretty little plant. They're a little green rosette covered in sticky red hairs. They're basically like flypaper gnats and. Spiders and ants crawl onto it, and then they just get stuck in this glue, gummy substance. And the leaf slowly kind of curls up over it, and then it secretes digestive enzymes and absorbs the insect. So are most of carnivorous plants passive then? Or Most of them are pretty passive. I mean, you've got the Venus flytraps, which actively close down, and the bladderworts actively close on their prey. But the things like the carnivorous bromeliads and the pitcher plants and sundews and butterworts are pretty passive. Mm-hmm. So we're, insects are like a main source of food for these. Is there anything bigger? Like I mean, you mentioned the tree that doesn't actually 
eat the birds, but are there plants that would eat something bigger than like a fly or a in gnat or something? Southeast Asia, particularly around Malaysia, Indonesia, there's a genus called Nepenthes, which are the tropical pitcher plants. And the pitchers on those can grow up to a foot long, and it's not unheard of for things like frogs or even mice or other small rodents to be found. I actually know someone who has Nepenthes in their greenhouse and they walked in. It's a friend who has a private greenhouse and they walked in and there was a dead mouse in it. It was like the most horrible (laughs) smell ever. (laughs) And it slowly digests its prey. Slowly digests (laughs) it. How slowly? Not a thousand years. Not a thousand years. (laughs) There's no need to digest over a thousand years. <laughs> um, it depends on the size of the prey. I mean, most of the time, like a mouse or something is not probably ever going to fully digest before the pitcher dies. But um, most stuff like Venus fly traps, it takes about a week for the uh, pitcher to, or for the trap to reopen. And then the skeleton kind of blows away. <laughs> I wish people could see the faces we're making as you describe some of these. This is before lunch. Um, (laughs) So the sarlacc, according to Wikipedia, injects neurotoxins into its prey to keep it conscious. And this is apparently part of why it can communicate with it and it takes so long to digest. Is there, would plants do that for any reason? Or is that just like some level of torture that they made up for Star Wars? That's some level of torture they made up for (laughs) Star Wars. There's no need for that in a plant. Most plants aren't living a thousand years, so... And they aren't used as, like, Jabba the Hutt's torture chamber, no, they're, basically. They're not, they're not communicating with the things that they're eating, none of that <laughs> stuff, so... What, so, but for when a when a uh, insect falls into the pitcher plant, for example, how long is it alive in there before? Um, however long it takes to drown. So some, like... Ants will swim around for a while trying to get out, but pitcher plants have hairs inside that point down, and they're really slippery, so even if an ant is able to grab a hold of it, it starts to climb out and falls right back in, so till it gets tired, can't swim anymore, and then it drowns. Yeah. So it's like so passively bugs. killing it. It's yeah. not yeah. Like, you know, hitting it with its tentacles or whatever like yeah. the sarlacc does. Yep, it would be the same as like falling into a sinkhole or something. It's just... Everything's different. <laughs> Smaller ones die faster. I'm picturing like a, uh, not a sinkhole, but a um, quicksand, which apparently oh. like in a lot of 80s movies, quicksand was always like the scary thing. Like mm-hmm. The 80s love quicksand. I know. As a child, I feel like I saw so many quicksand that we don't really encounter quicksand I in was, real life. I was so terrified of the beach <laughs> as a child. <laughs> in real life, thankfully, it's not as scary. Um, yeah. So you were mentioning how ants try to crawl out of the pitcher plant. They slide back. Um, Is it possible that like some of these like bigger insects are able to escape? Does it just depend on what it is that gets caught in some of these plants? It definitely depends. I mean, things with wings stand a better chance of being able to get out, but not always because, I mean, it takes a lot of space to get those wings out flapping. And once they get wet, it's hard to fly. So, And the plants are probably evolved to... Exactly. Right. They account for all this. To kind of they want to eat as much as they can. So, so what happens if something that the plant doesn't want to eat falls in? Um, like my finger. <laughs> well, fortunately, you can just pull it back out with no problems. <laughs> but if things like twigs or rocks get yeah. into it, they're just kind of there, and that's that. Just get in they, the way. They just get in the way. Um, 
A lot of the carnivorous plants, like Venus flytraps, the trap opens and closes about three times, and then it turns black and a new trap will grow. So it's not like the leaves are there for years and years and years. It's there for about a year, and then it'll just different, grow a new one. They're different, like, appendages almost from yeah. the plants. So yeah, they're just leaves, so it just grows new leaves. And... Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I never thought of them as just leaves of the plant. Yeah, they're very yeah. highly evolved leaves. <laughs> yeah. Mouth. Yes. <laughs> are there plants that are omnivorous that would eat insects and other not carnivorous type of things? Nothing that I've ever heard of. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because in in Wikipedia or Wikipedia, sorry, the starlight is described as um, omnivorous because it's animal and plant. Yeah. So it kind of like eats whatever it falls in. The plants. You know, plants just are not as cruel as the no. sarlacc. Real plants. No, plants don't generally eat other plants, so <laughs> can't really be an omnivore, except for parasitic plants. But that's a whole different, yeah, whole different ball game. Yeah, that's a whole other episode. That we yeah, that's okay. So anytime we talk about the sarlacc to other people, they're like, "When I think of a plant that eats people, I think of Audrey from Little Shop of Horrors." So, in your opinion, have you seen Little Shop of Horrors? I Do you know Audrey? Oh, no. We wanted to know if there was a showdown between the Sarlacc and Audrey, which would win. I personally think the Sarlacc would win. Hands down. I mean, still pretty scary to a person, but... But the Sarlacc has all those tentacles that can just yes. kind of come out of nowhere and grab Audrey, and that's that. I think Audrey has vines, but I don't know. I'm crossing genres here, so... Yeah. Musical but, and The Sarlacc science is just fiction. so big. Yeah. And it has that giant beak thing that... Mm-hmm. comes out <laughs> what do you think is the most terrifying thing about the sarlacc the beak that thing terrifies me <laughs> well like when it was just the giant gaping hole in the ground in the original trilogy it's like okay it's a big hole in the ground right. but now that it has like tentacles and mm-hmm. like a giant mouth that comes out and grabs at you that's a lot more active and terrifying yeah and the scene when they're all having the like fight around the sarlacc they're trying to climb out, and yeah. those tentacles and the beak just like pulls it back in. Like you can't, you're like the ant in the pitcher plate, you can't get yeah, out. Exactly. <laughs> and if you notice, the sarlacc has downward pointing teeth yes. around. So just like the pitcher plant. Do you think that uh, there was real life inspiration from like real plants, or did they just kind of like by coincidence they seemed to, because that's just how you would trap prey? Yeah, I think one of the main inspirations for the sarlacc is actually an insect called an antlion oh yeah that's right tell me about the antlion because i don't know what that is it's i i wish i could remember where they live but it's this insect that buries itself in the ground and it makes kind of like a hole and ants fall into it much like the sarlacc that's that thousand years of suffering maybe not quite a thousand years (laughs) maybe like a day but i think we're good yeah i think that's it Okay. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. This was fun. It was fun. So there you have it. Yes, there are carnivorous plants, but none that eat people and none that will take a thousand years to digest its prey. Botanical Mystery Tour is produced by the Chicago Botanic Garden. You can find us at botanicalmysterytour.com or on iTunes, Google Play, and your favorite podcast apps. Join us next episode as we dive into the mysteries of mushrooms in Alice in Wonderland. 
and just how wonderful bioluminescent mushrooms really are. You can find out more about everything happening at the garden and what's currently in bloom at chicagobotanic.org. So that's it. Thanks again for listening. I'm Jasmine. And I'm Erica. And thank you for coming with us on a botanical mystery tour. Botanical Mystery Tour is produced by the Chicago Botanic Garden. Any reference to specific pop culture media does not constitute or imply an endorsement by the Chicago Botanic Garden. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily state or reflect those of the Chicago Botanic Garden.